Podcast listeners will understand this better than most, but it's incredible to consider the teachers and the lessons that come into our short lives. When we're younger, we tend to take these things for granted, or at least I certainly did. In this episode, I got to revisit a chapter of my life that helped shape my career with a good fellow with the experience and insights delivered over the next 30 minutes that just might shape yours. Enjoy. What is the DNA of business marketing? How do we market ourselves now and in the future? Brand communications is evolving. Are you? Let's explore together. Spiral upwards. This is Spiral Marketing. Josh Green is the CEO for the Mather Group, a digital agency that helps companies manage how they're found online through Wikipedia and search engine optimization and drives targeted high-value leads for B2B companies. Prior to the Mather Group, Green was the VP of Marketing for both 1-800-PACRAT, we'll get back to that in a moment, and Zippy Shell, where he was responsible for all marketing, including online, offline, and the launch of national television campaigns. Josh, I'm going to welcome you to the show now. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Carl. Pleasure. And I want to touch base on your background a little more because I know you've worked for some other really cool brands. Like you've worked for Discovery Communications, correct? Yes. Yes. And shop.org. Shop.org and also Time Warner Cable. That's right. Those are fantastic brands. And you had an e-marketing director job back when... You know, it's not that long ago, but I think before, you know, 2008, even e-marketing, people would have to be like, well, what is that really? You know, which I think is interesting. And the other thing that is interesting about Josh's background uh, from a personal and somewhat biased standpoint is that I have the pleasure of interviewing a former boss. It doesn't happen all that often. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. It's a rare opportunity, and I appreciate it. Josh and I worked together at 1-800-PACRAT, where, Josh, you started off as the director of marketing and then became VP of marketing, and we were an army of two for a while. Yes, yes. Small but mighty, I think, is the best description for it. Yeah, it was certainly a, uh, a fun time figuring things out there. That's true. Uh, at the time, it's probably grown or maybe it hasn't. I don't know. But it, I haven't been there since 2009. But back then it was 72 franchise locations and they were approaching 100 mil or something in revenue. Yeah, yeah. The thing I'm aware of is they really shifted the business model, brought in all the franchisees or most of them, and it's it's now uh, company-run locations and stores. So just another example of marketing approaches changing over the years. Right, right. That's interesting. Well, for those who don't know, listeners, 1-800-PACRAT and Zippy Shell are both portable storage companies. They are very similar to pods in that you can get a big steel container put right in front of your house and either use it there or store it in a facility somewhere. And as I like to say, if you can figure out a story to tell about big steel boxes, you can figure out marketing for a lot of different places. <laughs> that's great. And that's absolutely true. It's an interesting brand to manage and an interesting industry to uh, be telling a brand story and standing out. 
and you have great experience in that. Well, I wanted to bring you in for a few reasons. You were a, a noble leader and uh, you had a lot of insight and I appreciated that. And uh, you and I, of course, have maintained a great relationship, which doesn't always happen in uh, the world of employee uh, bosses. So that's appreciated. But also, I remember that you had a lot of interesting brand management experience and brand direction experience. And I know now you've translated that into doing your own thing through the Mather Group. Yeah. One of the things that I found most interesting was in going out on my own was the opportunity to walk in different shoes across a number of different verticals and clients where previously, if you are in-house, you're working on one brand all the time. It was nice to be able to work across different industries and see how the learnings there could affect different industries. And what we've seen really having a B2B focus is there are a lot of the tactics that we're using are just as valid in one vertical as they are in others. Absolutely. Yes, I can attest to that as well. There are many patterns in growing businesses and the same, some of the same strategies anyway that helped us grow 1-800-PACK-RAT from, you know, 60 million to 90 or whatever it was at the time is going to work for other companies and other verticals. And then you start to see patterns and all this. But of course, you've got a diverse experience beyond that. I'd like to explore the what and the why here a little bit. When we're talking about B2B brand direction. And first of all, B2B brand direction, does that remain one of your main focuses? It does. You can have all the tactics in the world that you want, but one of the key things is figuring out how to tell that story that's going to resonate with your ultimate consumer or purchaser or person who's going to contract for your services. And it might even be more important in a B2B environment because the product tends to be more complicated or less something you can put your finger on or a very substantial commitment. A lot of the contracts our clients are signing could be a quarter million dollars, half a million dollars, maybe per year. And that's going to be a much longer sales cycle than, for example, when we were at 1-800-PACK-RAT, if someone's renting a container for $99 a month or $149 a month, they're certainly not feeling like their career is in jeopardy if they make the wrong decision. And I think that in the B2B space, having a story that can sort of make its way through your target or organization is a whole lot easier than having a bunch of buzz-filled jargon that then makes that internal buy-in that much harder. So the consistency of messaging, I think, is a really key thing, almost regardless of what industry you're in. Excellent. Absolutely. Brand management with B2B is certainly crucial. Well, how have you stayed passionate about it over the years? I'd say there are a couple of things. One is it's always interesting to figure out what's going to resonate with your target audience and what's going to really move them or make an emotional connection. And in the storage or moving industry, you're talking about people making one of the the biggest, most stressful life changes possible. And so you want to talk to that and talk to the challenges that are going along with that. In both of our worlds today, it's a uh, interesting challenge to see 
how you can do that across a variety of clients and a variety of industries. And then the other thing that I think is particularly intellectually interesting is all the different tactics and tools that are available. So you may have figured out the messaging or that you have the, you know, world's greatest Wi-Fi router, for example. But then the question is, how do I put it in front of the people who are going to be my target audience? So you have the messaging component and then the distribution component can also be a fascinating thing where it's a little bit more spreadsheety and hands-on versus sometimes the messaging is is that process of trying to pull it out of a variety of people at, at the client and figure out what it is that they're really selling and, and how to talk about it. I would like to talk about how your past led you from an inspiration standpoint and intellectually, if, if you like, philosophically, if you feel it, towards this B2B agency style? Yeah, it's an interesting question because a lot of times when you're in the middle of things, you're running 15 miles an hour and you're maybe not looking to the side to figure out where you are or exactly how you're getting there. And I think one of the things that's been particularly interesting to me throughout my career has been solving challenges. How do we get in front of this audience? How do we get this toy to rank well in Google for the holidays? How do we get our message out to more people with email without a lot of budget? And I took a lot of that into starting an agency, both in terms of, okay, how can I be of service with the knowledge and skill set I had? And then what are the problems that people have and how can you solve them? And that tends to be where some of the most interesting work is because while certainly everyone's ideal client might have an unlimited budget and not care about results, that doesn't really happen. And you usually have some constraints you need to operate within. And that's really where the challenge is, the growth occurs, and you get to try out new things, new messaging to figure out how to get the job done. I love it. You really want to be careful, but there's a spirit of experimentation in all that, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think there is a spirit of experimentation. A lot of times you're telling clients, we're going to start out small and ramp up just to, you know, make the most efficient use of resources possible. But one of the things in the digital marketing ecosystem we're seeing today is it's often the first people to jump into a new platform get results because that platform, be it Facebook or, or LinkedIn, hasn't really figured out how to monetize a new channel yet and is not pricing it high because they want people to use it and figure it out. So I'm hearing that sort of thing today about Facebook Messenger and Messenger Bot. Everybody's got a favorite tool that they're using, and it may be that it's not particularly appropriate for all clients, but it's definitely one of the things that you've got to look out for is you're going to experiment. You may not be able to 
predict an ROI exactly, but some of those are going to be where you're going to get the the best results or have the most uncluttered space to get your message out. Excellent. Do you have any tips that you think would be helpful for an audience of both brand marketers on the client side and maybe on the agency side? Feel free to split that up if you like. Yeah. I think on the brand side, an interesting point that we see is almost everyone under emails, whether it's because just of some intrinsic sort of politeness, don't want to bother people bias or worrying about not having enough to say. You know, a lot of times we see clients who email monthly, could email every other week, could email every week. We've had clients There was one good example. We had an association that we finally persuaded during the the Christmas time season to take a week and just email every day. And they didn't have any drop off. They had people, you know, this is anecdotal, but a few people say, oh, thanks for the reminders. I never would have gotten that done. And it took a lot of pushing to get there because it just sort of went against, you know, maybe what they, they felt, which wasn't necessarily backed up by the data. So on the brand side, it's probably email more often. And you can do that even if you don't have a ton to say or perceive it that way. There's usually enough content being generated or that can be easily generated that you can send email much more frequently. On the sort of client slash maybe agency side of things, a lot of times it's blocking and tackling that some of the companies haven't gotten around to, especially on the B2B space. I don't know if if you see this as well, but there's usually a strength that whoever oversees the B2B environment has. If they came up through the sales side, you can be sure that most of the online marketing will have a, a very specific sort of sales slant to it. If someone came up through online marketing, there may not be as much human interaction baked in as there needs to be. So a lot of times it's really helpful to sit down and have that outside perspective that says, hey, you're way over skewing towards this one thing. And there are a couple other things that generally work pretty well that you're not paying as much attention to because they might be uncomfortable or it's not as familiar. And I think that's one of the nice things that an agency can bring to a client or brand is sort of take a look at the overall marketing ecosystem and say, here's where you're really strong and here's where you can really, you know, add some oomph to your marketing efforts. There's only so much in the way of dollars that you have. So if you can take some of those least performing channels and boost them up, it can make a big difference. Very interesting. I think you're absolutely right. It's striking how easy it is for brands and marketers to lose perspective, especially when a program starts to go anywhere near autopilot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's one of the challenges today is that everyone has so much on their plate that it's very easy to say we've got program X running, whether it's email or pay-per-click or maybe it's posting content on LinkedIn 
and have it become baked into the ecosystem of the company. That's our pay-per-click. That's what we've done. And we spend yeah $4,000 a month on that. And we've had a couple of clients like that and said, well, let's let's just take a look. Well, we're very happy with what we're getting out of it. It's not really an issue. You know, and we went in and made one or two changes. One that always occurs is people forget to exclude jobs keywords, right? There are many people looking for jobs. You probably don't have to use the jobs keywords if you're trying to get someone to buy your industrial waste sanitizer. And all of a sudden, that program can jump 20, 30%, especially if you've got a budget that doesn't have someone looking at it full time or it got set up and then that expense became too great and it just sort of became baked in. Having someone look at it can really make a difference. Same thing with almost any online program. If no one's touched it in a year, the market has changed so much. The costs have gone up. They've gone down. It's become less performing. We've had clients tell us, yeah, we get 100 leads a month and we'd like to double that. And then you look at the spreadsheet that's being kept and you're like, well, that's more like 12 qualified leads, which is certainly a fine number, but let's maybe benchmark where we're at and think about it before we make the next decisions because it's it's certainly a, a whole... One of those numbers is very different than the other. And I think every kind of organization has its own challenges. If it's a small company, you may not have the resources to do everything at the level you'd like to. If you're a big company, it's easy for things to fall through some crevices for a while. So, yeah, taking a look at all of those different things as you as you start out and go along can can really make a big difference. Agreed. The audience can't see this, but I was nodding my head quite a lot there. (laughs) Are there any other tactical tips that you might like to mention here? I'd say probably 90% of clients are, are doing retargeting. They may not be taking advantage of it to the degree that they probably should. So for at least 10% of the people out there between email and retargeting, those are going to be your lowest hanging fruit. The other thing, and probably probably the third thing, and I'd maybe rank it 1.5, is you've got to make sure you're hooked up to what your goals are. A lot of times in B2B, people haven't even set up Google Analytics to track what happens with their contact page. So they're, they're spending some money, they're getting some leads, and they don't really know how it's happening. And this, is, this tends to be the smaller... B2B clients. But in general, it's a really good idea to understand what happens for the dollars you spend. Now, there's a whole science of attribution that that gets into very heavy duty math. And I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about a lot of B2B clients that sell very expensive items don't know what's happening to their dollars spent. And it makes it tough if they're looking at pay-per-click and it's $20 a click. I've got some examples of $20 a click being wonderfully underpriced and others where $20 a click will drain a budget incredibly quickly. And if you don't know what's happening to those visits or your metrics, it's very difficult to make a case that you need to be spending that kind of money. So 
having sort of something resembling that closed loop is really important anywhere, but especially on the B2B side because it gets lumpy and the numbers get much bigger much more quickly. Love it. Once in a while, I recall uh, you can get on a philosophical kick. We'll see if we get there here. Do you have something like a mantra that you say to yourself every now and again to keep yourself inspired? You know, it's interesting you ask that because a lot of times you're focused on doing a good job. And we've joked that maybe our motto should be something like nice people, great ROI, which I think we may have on business cards at some point. And I think philosophically there is this desire to build something because a lot of businesses don't have what they need in terms of marketing. So when you're driving a business, there's a number of things at play. One is is obviously you need the business to keep going for a variety of reasons. Two is there are people who are working with you who hopefully you're able to provide a great work environment where they can do very solid work. And then three is their businesses that you're helping grow. And that's nice to see. Sometimes, and I guess this is the philosophical part, in this life it's tough to see the direct results of things you're doing, especially in the digital space. I think that's why a lot of people occasionally joke about carving wooden ducks or get excited about planting a garden because it's very directly correlated to your efforts and what happens. And the nice part of, of what we're doing is you can see direct results and see what a difference it makes for those businesses you're working with. When you're sometimes working at larger companies and doing brand work and trying to evaluate just awareness lifts and things like that, it can be a little bit tougher. So I find that working with clients where you can see those results, where you can see, you know, the impact of sales or the growth of their business really is a nice benefit to the fields we find ourselves in now. Agreed. Absolutely. It's rewarding to look at the data when you do good work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, and the nice thing is you can fix things if they're not working. Right. Absolutely. Do you have any favorite stories of B2B marketing at work? It could be your work. It could just be a story that you've been paying attention to that you enjoy. I know that you do like to curate stories, but uh, I'll give kudos. Uh, Josh has a newsletter where he curates a lot of stories, and it's very interesting. Thanks. I think one of the things that I've found fascinating over the last year or two is just how much humanization B2B companies have done. I think we've really seen a breakout in terms of personalization and letting personality show through. And that's, I think, been driven by some of the very authentic business to consumer models where I saw the VP of marketing for T-Mobile talking last week and he was saying it, it's become a very transparent world and his example was McDonald's is at the point where they're not even showing the burgers because people can see that authenticity and know whether or not it's true. 
And I think you're seeing that in the B2B space as well, because consumers are starting to expect maybe not your warehouse to be making jokes, but some authenticity about the people who are there, what they are like, and and that sells. People want to go somewhere where the employees are motivated, where they know they're going to get taken care of. And I think that's one of the bigger trends is just that notion of authenticity and who the business is and what they stand for. I think there's a lot more of let's put our people front and center on the website and let's get away from the the standard brochure where you could just clone someone else's website and say, good enough, there's some information about the warehouse. Well, that really resonates. Is there anything that you'd like to add? One of the things that I think really is helpful as you're in any aspect of the business is to just keep experimenting or trying the new things. So right now, as we record this, there are things like Facebook messenger bots, suddenly LinkedIn is doing retargeting. There's people who seem to be having success with Instagram for business on a consumer level. There are people who are focused on ways to use Snapchat direct messages to build relationships. And it's fun to do some of those things. And sometimes they're a fit for clients or your business. And sometimes you can just use them to communicate with your uh, teenage niece. But it's important to keep fluid and trying new things and looking at the things you already have in place, because a lot of times that's where you can get some of the incremental growth that you might be looking for from. Excellent. Are there any resources that you would suggest listeners check out? There are a couple resources I would recommend. I'm a big fan on the search side of search engine land and also the stuff Moz puts out is excellent. On the overall branding side of things. I think AdAge and its website has really moved forward just leaps and bounds from where it was years ago in terms of talking about the industry and what's going on and some of the stuff people are doing when it's on a massive scale. And then it's always interesting just to keep an eye on what your competitors are doing and seeing what shows up and trying to reverse engineer how they're getting where they're getting. And in that case, especially on the pay-per-click side, I really like SEMrush to get a feel for what people are willing to pay for to advertise online. That works well. Okay, second to last question here. What do you think the future of this topic will be? What trends are you excited about? What trends am I excited about? I think that the Tools keep getting better and better to let you know what happens with messages you put out there. So there's some things that have been around for years and years, you know, who responded to which email and how did they respond. And then there are things like, you know, Google's had their data studio out and they keep upgrading that in conjunction with the analytics. And all of a sudden, you've got these ready-to-go reports that are showing you all different parts of the marketing funnel that are essentially free unless you're very big. And it lets you spend more time on the non-mechanical side of things. Same thing with some of the bidding stuff. It's been nice in the SEO world that some of the technical stuff has 
decreased a lot as Google has gotten better at indexing things. You know, the debates that we used to have about do you do you have two subdirectories versus one really long name and and there's a lot more of a feel that it isn't as important because Google will figure it out. So the coming of our artificial intelligence inspired overlords certainly is going to change how the game works for a lot of us. And I think for the better in many ways. Absolutely. Fantastic. Okay. I'll ask one more time. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I'd like to say thank you for having me. It uh, was great to be on today. And, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the things that connecting here reminds me of is there a whole bunch of different ways to blaze your own path in the industry and that's probably something worth thinking about is I've noticed people who tend to start in agencies or their own businesses it seems to grow up organically based on how they would like to approach things who's their client how do they structure their companies um And I think that's sort of an interesting thing to think about. And probably when people are looking at where is my career going to go, thinking about how you might set up your own company, even if you're not going to do it, is a really useful exercise to figure out what's going to be a fit. You know, if you would start a very buttoned up company, you know, everyone in suits and very high dollar consulting that probably gives you a sense of where you want your next job to be. So I think that's one of the interesting things that that sort of has come out of this process of discussing what we were going to talk about here today. Oh, I appreciate that. An exercise in self-discovery and professional discovery. That is interesting. Excellent. Okay, well, the last question is, what is the best place for people to learn more about you and to reach you? Oh, well, people can reach me in a variety of methods. Our official company website, which is www.themathergroupllc.com. You can always find me, Josh Green, on LinkedIn. And if you hit the website, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, which has some of the interesting articles that Carl mentioned and would love to hear from anyone. Perfect. And we will absolutely have all of the resources mentioned, including your website and linked on the show notes page, spiralmarketing.com. And Josh, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun to do. And I look forward to hearing us on the air. (laughs) Likewise. Cheers. Cheers.